Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. One more time, let's shout amen together and let's clap all over our houses. Man, it's great to be with you if you're online and in Montgomeryville. I want to make one quick announcement. So this Thursday is Christmas Eve, and so we're having something called Christmas at the Commons right here in Phoenixville. We're having five experiences. Uh, First one starts at 12. Last one uh, ends at 6, I believe. Uh, And so three of the five are completely filled up. And so seating-wise, one still has seats, the, the, the 130. I don't know why nobody wants to come to the 130, uh, but we have 100 people or 100 tickets still remaining for that service. And so if you haven't yet gotten tickets, uh, do that. Uh, the 1230, I think, has six tickets available. So, so we're church people, so we tend to wait to the last minute. Uh, and we're not going to turn anybody away, but we want to do the best job that we can possibly do of making sure that our services are, are spread out equally, uh, making sure people can be socially distanced. We're going to have a great time. We have cookies from, from people coming. And another, I've, I've been watching them. I watch what you bring in uh, when you walk through the doors. I'm going to taste test them this week to make sure they're edible. Uh, but we're going to have homemade cookies. We're going to have hot chocolate. We're going to have Christmas carolers. Uh, we're going to have a picture area. We're going to have some fun things for your kids uh, in the service. And we're going to spend time just celebrating uh, the true meaning of Christmas. So make plans to be with us. But today we get to end our, our sermon series, uh, our Christmas sermon series. We've been reading through Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. And we focused on the, the words that, that, that the writer Isaiah used to prophesy 800 years before Christ would come of what he would be like, right? He said, for a child is born to us, a son is given, verse number six. The government's gonna rest on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We talked about that last week and and, and today I wanna end, and I think it's fitting for this time of the year, but specifically for this year, uh, he's gonna be the Prince of Peace. I I wanna break down what that means in Hebrew because it's really neat. That word prince, the Hebrew word is sar, and peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. Sar means the one in charge, the chief, the general, the Lord. Peace means tranquility, rest, wholeness, completeness. And so in other words, what he's saying is he's going to be the one in charge of rest, the Lord of tranquility, the chief of wholeness, the general of all completeness. He's going to offer you the peace that surpasses, you'll hear me say this all, all the time, the, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, Many of you, if I talk to you today, there's areas of your life that you would say are stealing my peace, right? Like we could probably talk about areas where we've struggled with peace over the last few, few, few months and most of this year. Like maybe it's a family member right now that's driving you crazy during this Christmas season. Uh, you want to get together. They don't want to get together because you're not, you're not supposed to. Or you don't want to get together. They want to get together. Maybe it's over presents. Maybe it's over who's, who's cooking what. I'm not sure. Some of you, it goes beyond just the holidays. Some of you, it's just deep-rooted family problems, and they, they steal your, 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 your peace. Some of you, it's the fear of getting sick or someone you know getting sick and so you live with this lack of of peace some of you it's the fact that your kids are not in school right like you you just want them to go physically back to school they're at home you're at home they're at home you're at home you know the story uh some of you it's financial like you're you're right now this has been the most difficult year 
that you have ever faced financially and your finances are stealing your peace. Some of you, it's, it's deeper than that. It's beyond this year. Some of you, it's something inside of your, your soul that literally you're ashamed of. It's a, it's, a, it's a past mistake that you've made. It's a secret that you've kept. It's something that you literally are ashamed of that you work really hard to cover up, but you know it's stealing your, your, your peace. Some of you, it's just something that you experienced in your past, not even something that you did, but something that was done to you that is stealing your, your, your peace. And here's, here's what we all do. We, we go, man, if I just didn't have to face that, uh, my life would be okay, right? Like if, if, I, if I just didn't have to have that family member, if I didn't have to live during this, this season, if I didn't have to have that financial issue, then my life would be more, more peace-filled. But I need you to understand, peace biblically is, is not outside of, of a circumstance. And what I mean is, oftentimes we say peace equals perfection. But what if, what if the scripture was implying to us that peace is not a situation, that peace is not something we face or don't face, that peace is not financially being secure or not being secure, that peace is not having to have that family member that drives you crazy, you know, a perfect family, that peace actually exists by knowing, by knowing Jesus, that, that peace is something that's not situational. Peace is about a savior. In fact, Isaiah says this some chapter, chapters later in his book in, in Isaiah 26, he says, you'll keep, and I love this word, perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because of why? Because they trust in you. There's this peace you can have when your mind is steadfast. Why is your mind steadfast? Because you've come to the point where you completely trust the one who is the prince of peace. So here's what I want to do. We haven't spent a lot of time in the Christmas story yet. We're going to spend some time in the Christmas story today and then specifically on Thursday in our Christmas Eve experiences. But I want to talk to you about my absolute favorite part of the Christmas story. Now, if you've grown up in a, in a home uh, that, 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 that was Christian or maybe had some kind of Christian background, you've seen a manger scene. And everybody put your hand. Like, you've, you ever seen one? Some of you haven't. And so in a manger scene, a typical manger scene, maybe you've never seen one, it's a, this, little, this little wooden uh, a box. Looks like a, looks like a, a barn. You guys, know, you guys tracking with me, okay? Everybody shake your head. I know it's 9 o'clock. It looks like it's going to snow again. You know, it's kind of cold. Everybody knows Montgomeryville manger scene, right? I don't have one at my house, but my entire life we had, we had the manger scene. On the top of the manger, it was typically a nail with a, with a little angel that never stayed on, you know right? In my house. It broke all the time, and you, you would be like me, you know, my brother broke it, and so can't, can't break Gabriel or Michael or whoever it is, and so uh, you have the manger on the one seat. Inside the manger, you would have some animals, right, some, some donkeys and some lambs and, and, and some horses, depending on how expensive your manger scene, scene was and how many years it's existed, because typically the manger was made out of little porcelain figures, and if you, ha- if you were a kid, you've broken half of them, right? And so it was cool as long as you didn't break Jesus, and so, so you, you have the, you have the, the, the animals... And then you have Jesus in, in, a, in, a, in a box, right? That was actually the manger, by the way. The manger is not the, not the, 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 the barn. That's the barn. The manger is actually the, the trough that the animals ate out of. So, so Jesus was born, and the best place they could put him is in the trough, right? So if you are a mom or a dad and you've had a baby, you think about that. If you go to a hospital and they decide to do that to you, I'm going to put your baby in you know, this cafeteria uh, you know, place where you put the dirty dishes, you would probably give them a bad, bad review on Google, right? And so put the baby in the manger. Then you have Mary, you have Joseph, they look really peaceful. Mary doesn't even look like she just had a baby. Like she literally, she's perfect in this. Her hair is done. And, and then you had the wise men who weren't even there, by the way. Like the wise men, 
Uh, if you actually study scripture, they were, they were there about two years later. But, but they made the story. And then on the outside of the manger, you typically had the shepherds, right? You'd have a couple shepherds. And they're almost like the outcast uh, of the manger scene. Like, they're not that important. They're, 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 they're between the donkey and the sheep, right? They're, they're, that's who they are. You got to have Mary. You got to have Joseph. You got to have the, the, the manger with Jesus in it. You got to have the wise men, even though they weren't there. And you better not break the angel. Shepherds, no big deal. But I, I would argue shepherds are the most significant people in that manger. The message of the shepherds. It, it, is, an, it is an incredible message that oftentimes is misunderstood because of the context and the culture that we live in. How many of you have been watching Christmas movies? All, all of us, right? You remember when you were a kid, if you were my age, and the Christmas movie would be scheduled in the TV guide. And if you missed it, you missed it till next year. You guys remember that? I, I've been having these kind of, because we watch Christmas movies in our house, and it's very interesting to me because my kids will never know that. They will turn on the TV, go to Netflix, go to On Demand, go to Amazon Prime, and they can watch any movie they want at any time. In fact, we can watch The Grinch all through the year because my, my youngest son does, right? Just continue to watch The Grinch. But there was a time in my life where if you missed The Grinch or if you missed the, the, you remember Rudolph, the old school Rudolph? If you missed that, you just missed it. Like you would tell your parents, we got to be home on Tuesday at, at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock or whatever it is because we have to watch Rudolph, right? I'm going to miss Rudolph or Frosty's going to come on or whatever Christmas movie that you watch. They will never understand that. This is kind of like the shepherds. Like there's things that happen in this story that because of our culture and the context, we will never fully understand until we do a little digging. And once you do, do, do a little digging, man, it offers so much spiritual wealth in your life. It's almost eye-opening. So what I want to do is I'm going to drop you into a, a, a significant portion of scripture in Luke chapter 2 of the Christmas story. And the Bible says in verse number 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So they're, they're minding their own business. And then an angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. Now, some, some people would say they were terrified uh, because an angel showed up, and that would be scary. But I would say maybe they were terrified because of who they were. Maybe you can relate to them because some of you have come to church. Maybe you're not today because you've been coming for a while, but the first time you came here, you wondered what the reception was going to be. You wonder how people would look at you. You wonder what people would think about you. You wonder if people would point fingers at you and know how dirty of a person that you are, what your thought life is, what your mistakes are, what your relationship uh, baggage has been, what your addictions are, even though you've brushed your teeth and you've combed your hair and you've put on nice clothes. You've wondered if they knew who you really were. And you're going to see in this story that the shepherds would, would, would be in that boat, that they would understand you and you would probably understand them. And so God shows up with the angels and they're, they're terrified. The angels are there, the Bible says. The Bible says that the angel says, do not be afraid. And this, this is what I would say you, to you as well today. Go ahead, take a deep breath. Whew. Lightning has not struck today. You are, you are still alive. God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly what you've done. God knows exactly who you've been with. God knows the mistakes that you've made, the words that you've spoken. Yet God still loves you. And I can promise you, he's excited that you're here today. It's profound. Do not be afraid is a profound statement. Do not be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, not the perfect people, not the religious people, not the people that never messed up. I bring you good news that's going to bring great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be your sign. When you get there, you're going to find him wrapped in cloth and lying in a horse trough in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. And this is really important. He says, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel left them and had gone back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And I wonder what they thought. I wonder if they thought when they got there, there was going to be a line of people. I wonder, I wonder what they thought when they got there and there was no one else there but Mary and Joseph. I wonder how awkward they actually felt. Are we supposed to be here? <laughs> like, I don't see Mary's dad anywhere, mom. I don't see the priests. This is God. I don't see, I don't see Sam, you know, the elder, church elder here. I, I don't see anybody. It's just us. These shepherds, these lowly, insignificant, left out, we're going to look at this, peaceless shepherds. They show up, and it's just them, the Bible says. And they find the baby who's lying in the manger when they had seen him. Guess what they did? They went and they spread the word concerning what, he, what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, which, by the way, is significant because nobody ever wanted to talk to a shepherd. Of all the people in the world that God would choose to be the first evangelist for Jesus Christ, he picks the flipping shepherds. The shepherds. He doesn't get the educated preachers, the theologians, the guy with the doctrine in his name that could explain Isaiah and the prophecies and Genesis go through the timeline. He goes to the left out lonely shepherds. These men that were without peace, that were outcast, that were outside of society. This is as significant a part of the Christmas message as there could possibly be. And you're going to see in this story just three things that happen. Number one is what Jesus brings to their life. Is first thing is he brings peace with their perspective. I started thinking about the areas of my life that tend to steal my peace. And the very first one is my perspective. What, what's your perspective? Your perspective is, is not what you're going through, right? That's not, that's not it. Some of you, I want you to think about what you're going through right now, your life. Your perspective is how you define and speak about what you're going through, how you, how you see it. This is why two people can, can walk into the same dilapidated building, right, and you see it. And one person is an entrepreneur, and their perspective is, man, this could be an incredible facility. This could be an incredible shop. This could be a place where we start a school to reach underprivileged kids. This could be a place where we feed homeless people. The other person walks in. What's their perspective? This is too much work. This smells like mothballs and death. I remember our first church we went to in Limerick, I was like that with my wife. I had been here for three years. She had been here for three years. We had had issues, two and a half years, something like that, issues. She didn't like Pennsylvania. I didn't really know what I was doing. We walked into Limerick. We sat in the back with a bunch of old school Mennonite people in this fellowship hall. If you don't know what a fellowship hall is, you know, congratulations, good luck. That's a blessing to you. And so <laughs> fellowship hall. Fellowship hall is where you have potlucks and things like that. You ate things that you probably shouldn't have ate because somebody's cat was licking the spoon that they made it with the night before right? If you wonder why we don't have potlucks, that's why we don't have potlucks. I have trust problems. And so you would walk into this room, and I remember we left, and my perspective of Limerick was, I don't want to do that. And Leah's perspective was different. She saw the future. She saw opportunity. The perspective, it shifts. 
And some of you, you don't have peace in your life because of the perspective that, that you have. You look at life, you look at your problems, you look at your situations, you look at your issues, you look at everything you struggle with, and your perspective is negative, and your perspective is loneliness, and your perspective is sorrow, and these men would understand you. I, I, want, I want to open up how they would have felt about their life. They, they would have felt extremely, number one, unworthy in their life, these, these men. They, they would have felt unworthy because they would have heard for their entire life, uh, you are unworthy of God. Here's why you're unworthy of God. I'm not a farmer, and I work a, 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 my job's different than some of yours, but, but we don't work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's, there's times that, that we can go to sleep. Of course, there's emergencies, but I, I don't know what it's like to be a farmer, but I can only imagine if you're a farmer, if you're a shepherd, if you do something like that, you're never off the clock. Your, your, your livelihood is, 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 the, is the flock. And so if you lose them, you, you lose money. And so you're on all the time. If one of them's sick, if one of them got lost, you, you're on all the time. Because of that, it was a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour day, a week, a, a week job, 365 days of the year. They, they worked all the time, right? Like they, they were always on. Because of that, they couldn't go to church. Now, in our culture, going to church is leave it or take it, right? Like, eh, I, I don't really care about going until somebody tells me I'm not allowed to go, then I'm going, right? <laughs> right? Don't forget that when it gets easy to come to church again. Please. Right? But for them, in that culture, you went to church. Every Saturday, it's called the Sabbath. Everybody rested. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. They had come under the assumption that the Sabbath was for God. Jesus would tell us the Sabbath is not for God, it's for you. God does not need your worship. He wants you to rest because rest is a gift from him, right? And so you would rest, but these guys couldn't do that. They couldn't stop with the animals. They would always be around them. They were, they were uh, uh, unclean spiritually because they were around these dirty animals. And so they were not allowed to go to church. They were not allowed because of their job. They did not have time. And everybody would have looked at them. We, they didn't live in the same culture where people would say stuff like, you can worship God wherever you want. It's not important to go to church. Just watch it in your living room. It's the same thing, right? And that culture was like, you don't go to the temple and you don't go into the presence of God and you don't worship him and you don't make sacrifices. There is no way for you to be in a relationship with God. You are destined for hell. And so they carried around these feelings, this perspective in their life of it doesn't really matter what we do. We are unworthy. They would have also felt inadequate. They were, they were as low on the low of the education pole as you could be. It took no education. Like, you didn't grow up, little boys, little girls, what do you want to be when you, when, you, when you get older? I want to be a shepherd. That's what I want to do. You, you were a shepherd because you couldn't do anything else. They, they would have felt so inadequate. Like, they, they weren't the guys that were going out and asking the girls, girls out, just so you know. They didn't have cards with their names on them. I'm a shepherd. You know, MC Shepherd, right? Like, they would feel inadequate everywhere they went. Uh, they wouldn't ask a girl out. You know why they wouldn't ask a girl out? Because fathers in that day, unless they hated their daughters, would never want their daughter to marry a shepherd. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't a part of their life. They were many times without families because of the job. They would feel completely inadequate. And most important, they would struggle with the perspective of being unloved. You see, the sad, the sad reality of most shepherds is because of the life that they lived, um, most of them lived to the level of the beliefs of other people. So most shepherds became thieves. Like most normal people didn't trust. If you saw shepherds coming, you, you held on to your pocketbook and your wallet's a little tighter. So they would walk around and they would, 
see people staring at them. They didn't trust them. They were unloved. They were inadequate. They felt un- unworthy. And so now you can, you can, you can understand when, when, when God sends the angels to them and he says these words, he says, peace to those on whom his favor, that word favor, that means God is, is for you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to be in control of your life. God loves you. God wants to do things you couldn't do on your own. That's what favor is. He says, peace on whom his favor rests. And then what's so interesting is they're like, okay, well, we got invited to the party. We're never invited to the party. We're never invited to anything. And they show up and guess what? Not only are they invited to the party, they're the only guests. Which was so, it's so random because in that time, you know the Christmas song, Hark the Herald? Angels sing, you're like, okay, we just sing lyrics at Christmas, we don't even know what they mean. Right? In that, in that culture, when you had your firstborn son, you would hire a herald, and the herald will go, would go out to the important people, the, the, the people who, who were important to your life and significant, uh, the bigwigs, and he would say, hey, Steve and Leah, in their home today, they had their first son, Carter. He was seven pounds, 15 ounces. He has blonde hair, right? He came out screaming, right? He's, he's a firecracker. And they would just let everybody know. And the important people would come. When the herald showed up, you knew you were significant to that family, right? And so when the angel shows up, the angel, he says, hey, there's been a son born for you in Bethlehem. Man, he's telling these guys, you, listen, everybody else on this earth, in this culture, your family members, your friends, people you grew up in school with, man, the girls that you wanted to marry, they're all ashamed of you and they're all embarrassed of you. And I know your father isn't introducing you to his friends because he's ashamed of your career, but to God, you're significant. To God, you're the first people invited to the party of the Savior of the world. You see, peace ends up being found in the intention and affection of God in this situation. You start to see that God sees you. You start to see that God is in control when you can trust him. You start to understand that things are not happening to you, but God is causing things to happen for you. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, because i got to be honest, there's times I struggle with this. There's times I think to myself, man, I am... I'm too screwed up for God to pay attention to me. Like you wrestle with this, right? You're like, eh, God's probably not really into me this week. I've done, I haven't done much for him. I was distracted. I was overwhelmed with my own life. And, and I struggle with this. Sometimes I struggle with the thought that, that God really is interested and invested in every aspect of my life. And I got to remind myself by going back to the book of Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus tries to teach his people this. His listeners, they're wondering the same thing. Is there, is there really a God that is really involved in every aspect of my life? And he starts, he starts kind of listing these, these things. And, he, and, and one of my favorite parts in Matthew 10, verse number 20, 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Watch what he says. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your heavenly Father's care. What, what, the most insignificant bird that we can think of, they're sold, they're sold for nothing. Not one of them falls to the ground. And even the very hairs on your head, or lack thereof, by the way, men, some of you, maybe a couple women here, I don't know, right? All of them are what? They're numbered. Every one of your hairs is numbered. So don't be afraid you are worth more than many sparrows. You see, peace comes when you understand 
that God is in control, that he is invested, that he loves you, that he's watching over you. That's what the words of Christ are trying to convey to us. That he, Listen, nothing falls to the ground in nature without the Lord seeing it. Not one hair on your head falls out without the Lord saying, okay, now you have 1,363,000 whatever number of hairs. I know that washed down the drain. You're going to have to get some drain up for that later. Come on. We know about, like, I know all that. I know every hair on your head. That's how involved I am in your life. Peace with your perspective. Let me just give you two more. Peace with your, your people. Peace with your, 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 your people. Some of you struggle with peace in your life because of the people in your life. You'll say stuff like, you just don't understand my family. <laughs> you don't understand the pain that they've caused. You don't understand the mistakes that they've made. And, and I don't fully understand it, but I now understand as a parent that no matter how good of a job you do or don't do, your kids are probably still going to have times where they're going to resent you. If you haven't figured that out yet, you haven't been parenting long enough. You still think, man, my kids are going to think I'm perfect forever. You're never going to meet every scratch that they have or itch that they have or desire that they have. You're going to lose your temper. You're going to make mistakes. You're, you're going to get tired. You're going to get weary. You're going to fail them. You're going to have to point them back to Christ. You're all going to need to live your life with grace. If, you're, if you want to have a good relationship, that's what, that's what families that are close have. They have a lot of grace. In, in their family. But oftentimes we look at our lives and we go, man, if I would just have better family or I would have better friends or I wouldn't have experienced this with that, with that person, then I would have more peace in my life. And the shepherds would understand this as well. They would understand the significance of this. I, I want you to think, because sometimes we read a story and we don't put ourselves in that story. But, but for shepherds, um, if you were a, a shepherd, you probably had problems with, with your father. In fact, uh, fathers that had multiple sons that were, that were farmers, they would, they would reserve uh, the shep being a shepherd for their youngest son because it was expected that the youngest son in the family wasn't going to do much anyways. Right? Like you would just assume that. In fact, you can see this story in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, the prophet uh, Samuel comes to Jesse. God tells, tells him, go to Jesse, the next king. Uh, is there, the, one of his sons. So he goes to Jesse. He says, I need to see all of your sons. Jesse brings his sons into, into his house and the prophet begins to size them up. Okay, this guy looks like the king. He's six foot four. You know, he has a nice beard. He looks like, he looks like Leonidas. He's going to be the next king. Uh, okay, and then God says, no, nah, not him. Okay, let's go to the second one. Okay, he's six three. You know, kind of a big nose, but God, you can work with that. Okay, he's going to be the king. Okay, that, okay, let's, and he went down the line, the Bible says, and every time he would think this person is the king, uh, God would say, no, that's not him. And then God told Samuel, you're looking at the wrong things. You look at the outside, I look at the inside. So then he calls, he says, don't you have any more sons? He says, oh yeah, I got one more. He's a shepherd. His name's David. And so we read the story. We're like, oh, God comes in. You know, he becomes the next king. It's really cute. Until you put your, your, yourself in David's place and you find out Samuel, the most prophet, the most uh, uh, popular, famous prophet in all of the land shows up at your house and he says, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Get me all of your sons. And your dad forgets you in the field. I mean, we read about David and we, we see his mistakes after his life. He becomes a womanizer in some aspect and he makes some mistakes, right? Could it be that he had some daddy issues and he was trying to prove his dad wrong all those years, even to that point? He's without peace. His dad assumed you're not good enough, which if you fat, flat, you go forward a few thousand years and you end up in this story right here with these shepherds, don't you think they probably struggle with the same thing? 
Don't you think they probably sat around and talked about how mean their dads were and how they couldn't believe their dads didn't believe in them and how they're ashamed of them and how they don't even introduce them, them to people because they're shepherds and, and all these things. Like they had all sorts of daddy issues and they would have struggled with all sorts of resentment in their life. You know, resentment in your life is the greatest threat to contentment. I'm resentful. I'm resentful of these people. I'm resentful of what they've said. I'm resentful of how they let me down. I'm resentful. It's an attack on the peace of God in your life. In fact, I read this quote one time and I liked it by a woman named Ann Landers. She said, hanging on to resentment is allowing someone you despise to live rent-free in your head. There's a great passage in Proverbs. You ever want to read some verses that are super super practical, filled with wisdom, read the book of Proverbs, but the book of Proverbs says this, it says, carrying a log across your shoulders, so let's picture it, carrying a log across your shoulders while hefting a boulder with one arm is nothing compared to the burden of putting up, putting up with a fool in your life. It's weighing everything down. It's stealing your peace in your life, and so Jesus shows up, and he offers these shepherds peace with the people in their life, and here, here, here's, here's a couple things that, that I've seen in my own life, because all of us have people that steal our peace. A couple things happen. Number one, you begin to thank God for them. So I want you to figure out who them is and put them in that, that, those quotations, right? For, for, for them, right? Because if you're walking with Christ, you know that they are a part of your life, e either good or bad. They're either a step in the right direction or they're a detour from the wrong direction. You begin to make peace with these people because Jesus is bringing peace into your life. You begin to understand and say things to yourself like the people in my life, my family, they're not a surprise or an accident to God. That God has given me exactly what I need in my life to accomplish what he has called me to accomplish. Peace with the people in your life. Peace with your perspective. And lastly, number three, peace with your problems. Peace with, with, with your problems. I think you, you see this in, in this, this story because ultimately, the greatest problem in their life was, was because of their life, they were distant from God. That was a problem for them. And there was nothing they could do outside of a miracle happening in their life where they would get released from this job, which it wasn't like, it wasn't, you didn't live the American dream then. It wasn't like, you just go back to school. Like, this is who they were. And so they would have lived in this, this tension of, of dealing with their problems. Some of you understand it. It's this, this tension of shame in your life. Right? Because you, you know you can't go back and fix what you've done. You can't change what you've done. You can't oftentimes make things right with what you've done. You, 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 you've fallen short. They, they, would have, they would have been there. Some of you understand this. You're, you're probably here today listening to me. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you are absolutely 100% ashamed of, of the problem you have of addiction in your life. But no, nobody knows it. You, you, you cover it up. Right? Some of you... In your life, you, you've had an affair or you, uh, you walked away from, from a marriage and you, you have kids that are, that are older now and you struggle with that in your life. And you carry around the weight of your problems. And you, 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 you try to overcompensate. And sometimes you even say, I'm going to give it to God, but it's still, it's like, you know, I, I don't really know what, if I give it to him, I don't really know how to let go of it. And so I'm just going to keep holding on to it. Some of you just, man, this year has been filled with failures. I, like, I think there's a lot of people who are so depressed, and depression uh, acts like something that tears down the walls of, uh, of, of work and grind in our lives to the point where you, oftentimes when you feel like this, you, you, just, you just allow yourself to do things you probably wouldn't do otherwise. Some of us, right, like we've gained weight this year, and it's been like, well, no one's going to see me anyway except for my family. 
give me the cookie, right? Or like your work, your habits at work have changed because it's, you, you were a routine person and now you're not, or your family life has, and you're like, you're at this point in 2020 and you're really just ashamed of, of the life, your, your production from this year. Like you're, you, you, you've, 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 you've let yourself down and you're in this place and you're, you're there. So, some of you uh, deal, with, deal with shame of somebody abandoning you and you're, you, just, you look at yourself in the mirror and you just don't, you don't have any good thoughts about who you are and, and, and uh, your worth because you just are convinced that you deserved it and they, they walked out. Like we, we all struggle in these areas with our, our problems and making peace with them. And, and, and here's what happens. Oftentimes our peace is stolen from us by the lies that we begin to acquire along the way. So we go through these things or we do these things in our lives and then we begin to acquire these lies that sound, sound godly, right? Right, like the first lie, oftentimes people will say stuff like, well, God just wants me to dwell on my past. Right? He just wants me to, 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 to soak in it, right? to feel the pain of it. Some of you were parented like that. It was like, you got to feel the pain of your past so you don't keep, keep doing it. The only problem is that pain oftentimes sets itself up as condemnation in your life. And condemnation is this voice. You probably hear it from, t- from time to time. And the voice is telling you all the things you've done wrong. And then it'll end with this, there's no way out. Conviction in church is different. Uh, conviction, the voice, it starts off sounding the same because it comes right at you, right? So God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? He just doesn't respect your personal space. There's no social distancing with God. And he just comes right into your business. You ever been there? If you are in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, you will feel this probably weekly. You'll be in bed. You're like, just let me go to sleep. And God's like, you're not going to sleep till we figure this out. And conviction. But here's the cool thing about the voice of conviction. It's letting you know something's not right, but it's calling you to something better. Condemnation is letting you know something's not right, and it's digging the grave and setting yourself in there. And it feels right to say, God wants me to dwell on my past. God wants me to dwell on my mistakes. God wants me to dwell on all the things that we've done. But here's what the Bible teaches us. We are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. Another lie people believe is this one. God wants me to repay my debt. You see this in church even. It's like, I'm going I'm to serve even more, and I'm going I'm to sacrifice even more, and I'm going to make payment for my, for my penalties and my bad decisions. I'm going to overcompensate in this area because this is what God wants to do. And you don't serve from a glad heart or a grace-filled heart or a mercy-filled heart or adoration for the Lord. It's actually this, this religious spirit where, like, God wants me to repay my debt, and this is how I'll repay my debt to society and my family. Another lie is uh, people believe that God wants me to be perfect. He wants me to be perfect. I, I, I struggle with this because I'm type A personality. And so, and so uh, I have a short memory, right? So mistakes, I'll, I'm, uh, I tend to be like, eh, get better next time. But I also want to be perfect. So they drive me crazy. So I have a short fuse, like a short temp, like memory, but I'm also like, it, it, is, it is devastating to me to not be to not be completely 100% right all the time and perfect all the time. And that's a bad place to be with God. One time somebody told me, because I'll I, I feel then, maybe I let God down. Maybe, maybe this is why this is happening, because I let God down. You ever been there? Maybe I'm getting sick now because I haven't taken this serious, and so I let God down. Maybe my, maybe my kids are this because I let God down. Maybe, maybe my marriage is here because I let God down. You ever been there? Like, I let God down. And, and somebody told me one time, they said, you, you can't let God down because you were never holding him up in the first place. And man, it was helpful to me. It was helpful. Like, it was like, oh, yes, God's God. And I'm, I'm the idiot that needed a savior. 
I'm the one that needed grace and mercy. I need grace on top of grace. I need mercy. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Isn't that good news? He forgives my sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't expect me to be perfect. And another lie we believe is God just wants me to clean up my own situation. And here's what I want you to understand. God doesn't expect you to clean it up yourself, right? Because I don't know if you have kids and they ever made a mess and they try to clean it up themselves. What happens? I always go back to the visual of my, my little brother. He was probably three years old and he had gotten into the butter in our house. We knew then something was wrong with him. And he spread the butter all over the kitchen. I remember we were in a parsonage. Parsonage means you were in a house connected to the church. That's where we lived. I lived at the church as a, as a five, six-year-old, which for me was awesome. For my parents, not so much. Susie would come knocking on the door every night. She had problems, right? And uh, Susie was part of the church. She's not a real person, but that's kind of the life you lived in that time as a pastor. Like you were on all the time. But for me, it was awesome. But I remember he spread butter all over the place, and then he tried to clean it up. Right? You know what happened. It was everywhere. It was all over him. He was licking his fingers, uh, raising his cholesterol level, right? Uh, All over the cabinets, everywhere. I I always go back to that picture because I think that's what God sees in us. He's like, you messed up. And you're just smearing it all over the place. You're smearing shame, and you're smearing anger. And you just need to invite me into your mess. You need to invite me into your problems. I'm the one that brings peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm the one that brings mercy. I'm the one that brings joy. I'm the one that's faithful even when you're faithless. And he brings peace in your problems. You see, when you are lost and you don't know where to go, he can be your guide. He becomes your peace. When you're hurting and feel alone, he becomes your best friend. When you're in the middle of a trial, our God is with you as a comforter. When you're sick, God can be your healer. When you're weak, God is your strength. And when you're lost in your sin, the angels come to you and they invite you to the manger. And they say, here, here's the good news. God is a God of peace and grace and mercy in your life. Peace with your problems. Peace with the people in your life. Peace with perspective. He's the prince of peace, the author of peace in your life. Would you do me a favor, friends? Would you stand to your feet quickly? And would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes all over our houses? Man, I'm not sure where you're at and what you're struggling with. But man, I think there's somebody here that could use a little peace today. I think there's somebody here that you've tried to carry the weight of your life in your own hands. And it's turned out disastrous. It's turned out disastrous. You're filled with anxiety. You're filled with uh, a spirit of being inferior. Everywhere you go, you're, you're, some of you filled with anger at people. Like you're just angry everywhere you go. Uh, really because of what's been done to you and the mistakes that you've made and man you're overcompensating and you're trying to carry the weight by yourself and man I'm telling you right now what what a way to live where you let go of of control and you let go of your past and you let go of your mistakes and you give control to the one who brings peace into our lives listen I want you to hear me like I heard that pastor some of you feel like you've let God down you knew better You were taught different. You were even told, if you do this, it's going to hurt you. And you did it, and it hurt you. And man, you feel like a failure right now. And you're holding on to shame, and you're holding on to condemnation. And you're covering it up. And you're carrying it yourself. 
And I want you to hear me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I want you to take this into your spirit. Listen, same thing that pastor, that preacher told me. You can't let God down because you were never holding them up. You didn't hold them up by your faith. You didn't hold them up by your beliefs. You didn't hold them up by your obedience. You didn't hold them up by your religion. God is not worshipped by human hands. God is. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He hung the moon and the stars. He created the earth in seven days. He's led his people through every situation you can imagine. He has never failed. And that God, that God, that God sent his only son to this world to save you. That God is obsessed with you. The Bible says that he knew you before anybody knew you. And it's a relationship with that God through his son, Jesus Christ, that came 2,000 years ago in a manger. But the manger was the setup for the cross. He died on a cross for our sins. He was placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose in power. And he defeated sin. And he defeated pain. And he defeated hell. And he defeated death. And the Bible says he sits at the right hand of God in a place of authority over your life and he calls you by name to come home. And that God is obsessed with you. That God loves you more than you can imagine. It's that God that brings the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that God is here right now. Some of you need it today. You need peace with your past. You need to make peace with your problems and your people. You need to make peace with your perspective right now. It comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not situational found in a savior so if you're here right now uh, we're going to pray together and uh at journey we do the same thing every sunday i ask people they need to respond to the gospel and responding to the gospel is surrendering your life your current position your uh, who you are and giving it to christ and so i believe the universal sign of surrender we know this is, is hands in the air it's just a a sign it's in worship it's a sign of surrender when you lift your hands towards the lord in your life right now in this moment in this situation a sign of surrender is just to raise your hands towards heaven and that is simply saying jesus i want you to come into my life right now that's it i'm not going to make you come forward and i'm not going to ask everybody else to open up their eyes and look and see who responded no no we're all good we're all praying we all need a relationship with jesus christ but some of us need to experience that for the very first time right here in this moment You can feel the Lord knocking at your heart and you want to respond right now. And so what I'm going to do, both in here in Montgomery, I'm going to ask you physically if that's you, you're going to respond by raising your hand. If you're online and you would say, hey, Pastor Steve, that's me. I'm going to respond to the gospel. There's somebody moderating on a keyboard right here at our facility. You're just going to let them know and they're going to let me know. You're going to say, hey, I'm responding or maybe just a quick hand emoji, a sign of surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But come on, there's a God that loves you, that wants a relationship with you. I'm lacking peace. Man, I have no peace in my life. Today, I want to invite the one who brings peace right now into my life. If that's you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Come on, all over our houses. If you would say, that's me, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. Come on, just shoot your hands straight towards heaven right now. Yeah, come on, there's hands, there's hands. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? I love it. Is there anybody else? Hey, pastor, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life right, right now. This is the day. This last Sunday in church from 2020, this is the day I was supposed to be here. And today I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Come on, is there anybody else to say, hey, Pastor, that's me. Let's begin to pray all over our houses. If you raise your hand and you've never prayed before, all you're going to say is, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Jesus, come into my life. Hey, everybody at Phoenixville, let's clap for that person in Montgomeryville right now. Yeah. Let's begin to pray. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for this day. 
We thank you for all that you've done through this church, Lord. Lord, you are faithful. You're faithful. That's all, that's all I can say about you today. Uh, you're faithful. We've read about it in Scripture. We've heard about it in, in church. But, Lord, we've lived it this year. We've watched you be faithful through and through, Lord. Faithful in our families. Faithful in our careers. Lord, faithful in every situation of our lives. And, Lord, we love you. We trust you. We thank you that we get to know you. And, Lord, I'm thankful, Father, for my friends that are in this room, that are watching online, that are joining us in Montgomeryville. That, man, something happened here today, Lord. They felt the Spirit of God moving in their life. And because of that, Lord, they're inviting you into a relationship with them. Lord, they're opening themselves up. Lord, they're giving you their past, their present, and their future. They're surrendering themselves to you, Lord. And I'm grateful, Father, that this is the best decision for the rest of their life. Lord, something is changing forever here. The Bible tells us that they were an old creation. They were what was true of them when they got here. Lord, is no longer true of them because now they're found in Christ. They're a child of God, adopted into your family. And Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for all that you're going to do, all that you're going to do on Christmas Eve, Lord, all that you're going to do through 2021. Lord, we love you. We love you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, one more time, church. Let's shout amen. Let's end 2020 right. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, Visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.